Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on our first episode of 2021, we are doing the 59th 2022. Best 2022. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm just <laughs> going to start that over. You lost a year. It's okay. We all did. We can, we can keep going. <laughs> um, we're, well, we're doing the 59th Best Picture winner, Platoon. Uh, we've been saying for a while that we were going to do this one. We finally sucked it up and uh, did this one. Uh, So Platoon is a 1986 American Vietnam War film. It is written and directed by Oliver Stone. Um, This is kind of a big deal because Oliver Stone was, I believe, the first Vietnam veteran to direct a war uh, or to direct a film about the Vietnam War. Um, And he wrote the screenplay based on his own experiences as an infantryman in uh, Vietnam and he actually wrote the screenplay like really quickly after he had gotten back. So he got back in 68 and he saw the Green Berets, which was a John Wayne directed and starring film that came out in 1968. And that one was a lot more like pro war. And I feel like a little bit more, um, you know, Ian, when you say you hate war films, I think that's the type of war film you're talking about. Um, one that kind of glorifies war and doesn't look at like the horror of it. Um, and that really probably, you know, paints one side as completely good, can't do any wrong. And the other side as completely bad. Um, so Stone wrote this kind of in a response to that and then couldn't get it made for ages. Uh, because again, I said he wrote it in 68 platoon doesn't come out until 86. So he, you know, at the, when he initially wrote it, first off, people didn't have an appetite for Vietnam war films. I think we talked about this on our episode of, on the deer hunter. Um, you know, I think it was such like a nationally traumatic experience. And I think there was probably a little bit of shame wrapped up in it too. You know, it was Mm -hmm. a war we shouldn't have been in and we lost, so I I think, you know, at first there wasn't a lot of appetite to make Vietnam War films. And then, of course, you have the deer hunter kind of breaking ground in the late 70s, Apocalypse Now. And then apparently he couldn't get Platoon made because everyone was like, well, the deer hunter and Apocalypse Now are like the definitive Vietnam War films. Like they covered it. They did it. Uh, no, they didn't. <laughs> uh, right. Because, I mean, like I said, this is the first one written by somebody who is actually or I don't know about written, but certainly directed by somebody who was actually there fighting. And I think it shows. I really think it shows. Yeah, it's for for such a really traumatic film, to, to be honest. It's extremely intimate in a lot of the ways that it's both filmed and written. So I can definitely see how his experience and viewpoint is translating into Platoon. Absolutely. And um. I'm going to go ahead and do this now. I was going to do it before we hit watch notes, but I'm just going to give like a massive trigger warning just in general. You know, we kind of were delaying this film because we both said we knew it was going to be really rough. Um, It was really rough. (laughs) Confirmed. Um, Yeah. So just everyone be really aware of that going in. This was filmed on location in the Philippines. And actually a lot of the Vietnamese characters um, were played by Vietnamese refugees who were living in the Philippines at the time. Um, and it was filmed like, like 
pretty much right after there was like a coup that happened or something. I was like reading yeah. a little bit about it. There was a lot of political upheaval going on and it was very like up in the air if it was even going to be able to be shot. Um, but they were able to get it made. And uh, in a very short amount of time, uh, 54 days in the middle of February in the Philippines. So when it looks hot, it's fucking hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is is Philippines Southern? Well, they're in the tropics, so it's fine. I was going to say, well, they, they're uh, Southern Hemisphere, right? Yeah, but at some point, depending on where you are, does it even matter whether you're in the Southern or it's Northern Hemisphere? It's all the time. You're very, you're very right. Um, the film stars Tom Berenger, Will, Willem Dafoe, Charlie Sheen, Keith David, Kevin Dillon, John C. McGinley, Forrest Whitaker, and a very young Johnny Depp. Didn't recognize Johnny Depp or most of those actors until I was like looking at the credits at the very end. They did that very like 80s style, like look back on every single person in the film as they put their credits up and was surprised to see how many big names were in it at that time. Well, and it was a lot of people, you know, not like Behringer and Defoe and stuff. But it was a lot of people's like kind of first big film or yeah. like one of the first ones to really give them a lot of like screen time and stuff. There were, I think, a lot of different people that Oliver Stone reached out to about casting. This is what it ended up, it ended up with. And I, you know, I feel like especially with uh, Defoe and Behringer, like I, I don't think he could have done better. I agree completely. Like they play off one another so incredibly well yeah and they're both playing against type which was really interesting so defoe traditionally had played a lot of villains and behringer had traditionally played a lot of heroes so they're very much swapped <laughs> in this which i love seeing i love when actors and actresses are cast against type and then you just get to see them flex mm-hmm. um one thing i will say about filming is that the actors did have to go through a very intense training to like build up and it sounded um a little, little sadistic, <laughs> frankly. Um, yeah, it, it sounded like it was it was definitely like a hard shoot. I will I will say I it sounded like Stone was was a little into like torturing his actors with the like whole, you know, you know, the the thing that you'll hear from directors where they're like, well, I was just trying to get the most authentic performance. And I hate when they do that because I'm like, just don't. Like you're hiring people to do a job that is acting like don't treat them shitty too. Yeah. They'll do a good job because they want to do a good job, not because you tortured them into it. Yeah. At least make it voluntary. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because I mean, I guess, I guess when they, when they look tired and they're sick actually of this tired, shit, they're tired <laughs> and sick of this shit. Oh God. Well, yeah. Um, so this was nominated for a lot and it won, I think, I think four of the awards it was nominated for. So obviously Best Picture. Stone did win for Best Director. Uh, both Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe were nominated for Best Best Supporting. Neither of them won. And I'm wondering if it was a case of kind of splitting the vote. Although Michael Caine won for Hannah and Her Sisters. And we do love Michael Caine. I just haven't seen Hannah and Her Sisters. so I also haven't. I just love Michael Caine. Um but so, you know, I think because I, I think they both gave amazing performances. Um, so I could see if that was a case of like splitting the vote on that one. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, did not win. Nominated for Cinematography, but did not win. Claire Simpson won for Best Editing, which I think I there were multiple points in this film where I was like, that editing, like that, yeah. that was such a perfect moment. Um, so I 
we have multiple times talked about how like sometimes with the editing, we're like sometimes good editing. It's like you just don't notice the editing. Um, but there were definitely moments here where I was just like, what a perfect cut. Yeah. I'm a little not happy about the cinematography, but I need to not say that until I've seen the other film that won, which what was the other film that won the mission? Yeah, which I also haven't seen. So I had kind of a same thought because I really loved the cinematography here. But again, I also have not seen the mission, so I can't really like yeah. make that call. Um, but I did really like the cinematography. And there are definitely some points that I want to call out where we had some really good shadows. Oh, yes. So much of it. <laughs> and then the last uh, nomination and award is that it won for best sound, which again, I that's not something that I necessarily always pick up on, but I like, did hear it absolutely deserved it. Absolutely agree. Um, this movie was ranked number 83 on AFI's original 100 years, 100 movies list. And then it was ranked number 86 on the 10th anniversary edition. And it was number 72 on AFI's 100 thrills. And I believe Sergeant Barnes was nominated for AFI's Heroes and Villains. He's a good villain. He's a good villain. We will get into that, but I, I want to talk about like the whole kind of setup and reveal for Barnes. Um, but we should have known as soon as we saw that scar makeup that he was definitely. <laughs> like, well, I... I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't 100 percent sure how they were setting it up. I thought they were just going to I thought they were going to have him be like the um, the experienced old timer who was going to like go up against like incompetent leadership. Like I thought we were going to go for that trope at first. Um, and then they the, <laughs> the just gradual reveal of like the true depths of Barnes villainy is exceptionally well written and effective. Um, and then other nominees for that year, we'll just run through them really quickly. Hannah and her sisters, we already mentioned, Children of a Lesser God, The Mission, which we already mentioned, and A Room with a View. And I don't think I've actually seen any of those. Same, but that's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the we're in the time period where it's also not a surprise if I haven't seen any. Yeah, I feel like the 80s are not a time that you focused on with your family. I I did, but it was a lot of like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> Bruce Willis. I was very just specific kind of like 80s pure, film. Yeah, very like pure action flicks. Love it. Um, so yeah, do you ready to jump into watch notes? Yeah, let's uh, get it. So uh, you knew exactly what type of film this was going to be from the opening moment when they start with Barber's Adagio for Strings, <laughs> which, which is they that bring like oh. in and out. It's perfect <laughs> because it's it's kind of melancholy, but it's very serene. Mm-hmm. And to have it juxtaposed with like they're immediately coming in on the helicopters. Um, we don't have any sort of like home life or basic training here. Like we're starting immediately with like you are in Vietnam. Uh new recruit new arrival very young charlie sheen literally had that as my note <laughs> whoa I, I young charlie sheen is, oh my god you really young charlie sheen um and you have like the just cart of body bags mm-hmm. that goes in front of them meanwhile you have the adagio playing uh, it's, it's eerie the way that they also pull in kind of the 
the grizzled long timers plus the body bags plus the new well new arriving troops just heightens that whole thing too where it's like okay you see the start and the middle and the end of all of this just wrapped into one scene and i'm not saying that it's uh you shouldn't watch the whole movie because i think you should even though it was you know tough um you get the microcosm of the movie just playing out in front of you so it's it's good also like lends credence to the it's about the journey not about the result so it's like the spoiler is right there we see their future but how they get there is so important to the the story itself then you have, I think, an amazing choice with the score where it completely drops out as we have them hiking through the jungles of they're in Vietnam, but they're like right on the Cambodian mm-hmm. border. And just the here's where we get that sound, right, where you just have like the sounds of just like the bugs, like constantly with the bugs. You have like uh, Charlie Sheen's character gets the ants on his net like it's. The bug theme uh, was great. It comes back multiple times to just kind of, I feel like it plays to some visceral ick factor to heighten how you're so wanting them to get out of there. And it just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And the close-ups on them too, on his neck where he's like trying to get them off. I literally squirmed. Same. And I, I think it's just this, like they just can't escape. Like you cannot be comfortable Like you are constantly in fear for your life. You are just miserable because it's hot. There's bugs like this. There's never quiet. Like it, it was just like, it was a negative feast for the senses. (laughs) Is what it felt like. Like I, like I felt uncomfortable. I felt on edge. Like this film is a masterclass in building tension because we actually don't get to our first, like, firefight skirmish until pretty far in especially for a war movie and especially for a war movie that's like beginning in Mm -hmm. like in the war um where there's no like basic training anything and the whole time i was just like something's gonna happen they're gonna get ambushed like some like i was so wound up waiting for something to happen and i like i felt like charlie sheen's character i felt uncomfortable i felt scared it was so well done I totally agree. And honestly, those feelings are kind of wrapped up in his reaction to the first dead person that he has seen. And that for me, you talk about that tension. I was fully expecting a booby trap there with with that dead body. And I was like, do not touch it. Do not go near it. Just go away. Leave it alone. Nothing happened, which was like a really interesting choice to continue building that tension further on um without re- well not releasing the tension rather because it does kind of back off but you still have that underlying thing and I feel one like last this movie oh go ahead oh i was gonna switch back to sound did you have a comment that would lead in oh i was gonna say in the way that it builds tension and paces the tension this feels like an old school horror movie yeah whether you're expecting something and you just never get it and then when you do it's all the more it reminded me a lot of halloween how it takes a really long time a lot of times for like Mm -hmm. the bad thing to happen but like you know it's going to happen kind of like the way they slowly pace the tension um and the cinematography here this kind of follows throughout we don't get a lot of like big sweeping panoramic shots or like big battles the way we do in a lot of war movie uh, a lot of war films sorry i can't speak this morning (laughs) um it's very intimate very close up it is all about the dynamics within this group 
Mm-hmm. And that is why I think I, I really enjoyed it in a weird way. Like it, <laughs> I, it's not one that I'm going to like want to really watch again, but we'll probably think about often. Yes, um, exactly. Um, I, I probably won't watch this again. It's, it's hard to watch, but like, I, I don't know. I came away from it being like that war film really made me hate war. And I think that's what war films should do. Yeah. One last thing before we leave this, uh, the kind of jungle first jungle scene though is going back to the sound they have this unnatural high-pitched ringing like post flashbang that stereotypical hum and that for me is really what put me on edge in so many of these scenes and i when i first noticed it i began to notice it more and i think how they brought that in especially further on is masterful so again with that win for sound i am fully on board yeah. Yeah. They're real. They're really making you feel like you're there. And I hated it, but it was really good. <laughs> so moving into the first uh, camp scene, I they did this voiceover thing, which I'm not sure I'm a fan of. I think it worked for me. <sighs> I, it was again with the show me, don't tell me, but it did give a lot of like reflection and good quotes. So I... I I think it actually did a lot to tell us about Taylor's character. I think the it's very interesting that like he's writing to his grandmother. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's already kind of showing that there's some distance between him and his family. And I think there's a point where he stops writing her. And we we stop getting the letters to grandma or we stop getting the voiceover directed to her. And I, that's very interesting because it shows that like Taylor is losing touch with the outside world. Like he's withdrawing, he's starting to feel like the hopelessness and feeling cut off. Um, and I, I did think that there was a really interesting quote, um, that kind of summed up, I think a lot about how people feel about like Vietnam in particular, especially like in retrospect where he's talking about like, I, I wanted to come here because like I wanted to do what like grandpa had done in world war one and what dad did in world war two. But like the just sort of like national mythos around those two wars, which then like, and I mean, obviously, Korea happens between Vietnam and World War Two, but Korea was. I, I feel like Korea is almost overlooked a lot of the time. Yeah. And and it didn't have the same like impact, I think, at home that like Vietnam did. Um, and so to kind of just see like, oh, that's the mythos that he grew up under and then he's going to go into war and like it's not it's not like the stories you were told. And also like you're, you're fighting in a war that to so much extent, it's like, why are you even there? Like you weren't attacked. Yeah. Uh, what are like, what are you doing there? And I, I think that it's interesting that there is never a point in the movie where you have anybody be like, this is what we're fighting for. They don't, they don't fucking know what they're fighting for because no, like, because they shouldn't be there. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh they're geopolitical pawns. Yeah, like just the futility of it. And I think I think you kind of start to see that in like the letters to grandma. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he he does even say that nobody's telling him what to do or how to act or 
because he's what new. is going on, which I th- thought was quite an interesting, like, I want to understand whether that was a common experience. Cause I, I seem to recall some sort of discussion, like in more like nonfiction terms around once you get past a certain amount of time, you're more likely to survive the war. So it would make sense that there is kind of a discounting of the newest of the new, but also that's horrible. <laughs> like just the the fact that you see him as the outsider and they're just throwing him literal shit jobs and not helping him keep safe. I don't know. It just feels like such a um, condemnation of, of the way that this particular platoon was run. I, I mean, it, it sets up a very interesting platoon dynamic immediately. Right. And I, I think multiple times you'll have people be like politics. It's about politics. And I, I mm-hmm. think it's so interesting that like they're really delving into like this platoon. It's kind of like a mini society. Like there are levels. There are people in charge because you're part of a military unit. Like there's even more kind of like rigorous separation of level mm-hmm. and like kind of top down authority. And I, I think that's what makes this movie so interesting is seeing the interplay in the group and seeing those politics work themselves out. Like you don't have a united group fighting against a big evil. Like, you know, it's not that kind of movie. It's more realistic than that. Well, and even the way that they transcend is such a positive feeling word (laughs) for what was going on, but they uh, transcend the hierarchy in some sense. It's more they're insubordinate, but um, (laughs) it's, it's like you have the sergeants and the staff sergeant. um, Barnes. Barnes. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. I was pulling up a list again, names (laughs) because there were a lot of characters. That's why there were a lot of characters. (laughs) I should have remembered Barnes, but uh, apparently he is like right under the lieutenant. And then you have um, the Sergeant uh, Elias. I think it's Elias. Elias. I think that's what they say multiple times. William Willem Defoe's character. Um, and then Sergeant O'Neill, who John C. McGinley, I was like, oh, this is such a good role for you. He was so good. I was like, God, this man is so annoying. And at first... I really thought McGinley was going to be our big bad sergeant. Like I thought oh, yeah, Elias with the way was going to be like, like the paternal sergeant. And I thought Barnes was going to be like the tough hard ass who's been out there for a while, but like, God damn it, he'll keep you alive. And I, I really thought McGinley was going to be like our big bad. And I, I, I think the movie, the movie got me thinking in the exact same train that Taylor does, which I think was so good and clever was like, you know, he's he's like, yeah, Barnes can be like mean and tough, but like I respect him at first. Oh, at first. And, at first. <laughs> and then like we get to go on the same journey kind of like as Taylor evolves and kind of see the the very mean man behind the curtain. Yeah. When it comes to Barnes. Yeah. Um but I, th- I think it's interesting. You have two hierarchies going on, right? Like you have the actual chain of command hierarchy where you have like Lieutenant Wolf, um, who is so in over his head. Like he he's younger than Barnes. He hasn't been out there as long as Barnes. He doesn't have Barnes's experience. He's he's a terrible person, but he he's not like um terrible because he's spineless, not because he's he's terrible yeah. in different ways than Barnes. Um and he, he oh God, he just bows to Barnes too fast. Um, 
he does not he's not what he's not a commanding officer Ugh. And that that comment at the end of the they're prepping for the am, that first ambush where he's like in front of the man men I should give the orders and I'm like you, why didn't well, you one he said it would be better if I were he didn't like he even he used some like passive language around how he should be giving orders instead of directly saying Barnes know your place but so you have the official hierarchy but then you have this like tenure hierarchy right of like how long have you been there because like. Even Elias, who's so different from Barnes, and like I said, like he clearly cares. Like he's he's, you know, at the very beginning when Taylor like faints and has like the bugs on him, Elias is like, okay, so all of this stuff, you don't need it. I'll carry it for you this time, but next time, like, come talk to me and I'll I'll go through with you like what you actually need to bring. Um, like he's actually clearly caring, but like they even talk about, you know, he's been over here three years. So like he has a certain level of respect. Mm-hmm. Barnes has been shot seven times and they can't kill it. Like he's got a certain level of respect. <laughs> so like there's like Ugh. two competing hierarchies happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, and seeing it playing out is great, painful, but great. But so first major scene that I thought was brutal but amazing was the actual night ambush so we've had this build up and planning to it where it's going to be this big thing you not to fall asleep on watch all all that fun stuff but we get Everybody partially falls into this on watch except yeah. for taylor and i'm kind of well, well we'll circle back to that but the way that they show him seeing the like uh, NVA soldiers coming into their camp and he's like paralyzed like a deer in the forest wrapped with his blanket, like literally trying to hide. He's got his it, poncho around his oh. face and then he'll peek out. That, that was what I looked like when we did actually watch Halloween. I mean, yes, I was, it, it was out of my hoodie <laughs> like that. Um, and honestly, as I watched this, I was watching it like between my fingers. <laughs> like I was like, I can't take the tension because he's watching a clearing and it's cutting back and forth between this clearing at night with the mist kind of rising off the jungle and then to Taylor with the hoodie and it gets like closer and closer. And then you just see the shape of one of the like North Vietnamese soldiers start to come through the clearing. And then you see more people kind of coming out of the dark and the way they shoot this is it's, it's almost like the faceless enemy, right? Like this is, Mm -hmm. this is the big bad that he's currently afraid of. And over the course of the movie, he's going to realize that the external threat is not nearly as terrifying as the internal one. That is for sure. <laughs> but this, um, I don't know, they, they went right into kind of the horrible nitty gritty of these firefights. I mean, one, the cinematography in this is just mind blowing because it's so dark, but you get the flashes and the pops of the gunfire. And I think they had mortars too going off. What did and, they call them? Oh, they called it something. Cause it's like, it's like the explosive or the explosive that, um, like claymores claymores. Yes. Uh, that, uh, Taylor's supposed to. Oh, right. Be off setting off with the safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause he's fucking terrified. He, and nobody told him how to do it except for like two seconds before the time. <laughs> like it was already a stressful situation. You got to train on that. Um, but it, oh, it's just the chaos and how it comes out of that tension. Just, 
oh, so, so, so good. Very but the, well the one shot that stuck with me was the one soldier, the Vietnamese soldier who was sitting there alive and they don't shy away from any of the gore in this film. Just like shoot him. You see sprays of blood and he dies. And I'm just like, Oh, and then you, Add that on to one of the American soldiers here also dying and the way that he's like wheezing and gurgling as he's like, again, the sound great, but ah, it's so I hate it. I uh, respect it, but I hate it. Yeah. Uh, I also that soldier. Oh, my God. Earlier, he was like showing a picture of his girl. And I was like, you never show anyone a picture of your girl. You'll die. Uh, exactly. Or movie exactly. 101. You never show anybody a picture of your girl. You never talk about your plans for, ma- for after the war. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't do it. But the one who was it? It was Sergeant um, Elias who said this at the very end, where it was kind of like to the effect that soldier would be alive if the Greenhorns had had a few more days to learn what they were doing. And I think that's such an interesting juxtaposition to Barnes's tirade after that about how everybody was a dumbass and you shouldn't have fallen asleep on watch, even though he didn't. It's fine. We'll, we'll just leave that. Did. Oh, yeah. And then everyone's like, Taylor um, fell asleep. Junior's over there like, Taylor fell asleep. And I'm like, Junior, you asshole, you fell asleep. And then Taylor's like, I didn't fall asleep. I choked, but I didn't fall asleep. Yeah. And uh, Elias's approach is much more measured. And we, I mean, we immediately are on board with his, his side. So anyway, it's horrible, but great. Yeah. The, the juxtaposition there starts early and it, it doesn't seem as like necessarily polar and sinister as it turns out to be, but like we are seeing two very different leadership styles and two very different levels of empathy. Oh, for sure. And I mean, that continues once we return to base camp here. So there, there is that one scene where um, Taylor is given literally the latrine cleaning job. Um, and then he's talking about he, and- how he volunteered. Yeah. And people are like, okay, why did you do that? (laughs) Well, because he, and he talks about that too, where he was, he's like, most of these people, like they didn't have a choice. Like you're, you're here because you had no other option. Yeah. You know, you were, you were poor or you were, you didn't have anything else. And I mean, that's true. Like throughout history, like the poor have always fought the wars. Yeah. And it's just, it's nice to see a movie recognize that because we've watched a lot of war films and yeah and actually say it directly a lo- yes a lot of them have been good um but not a lot of them have like been so upfront about some of it yeah but the the development of the different factions within the platoon i thought was really effective so we have the underworld the kind of like more hippie pot smoking side of things that elias is heading up and then we have the, the ones with the better music. Oh, the much better music. <laughs> Did you catch that cut? cut? Let's talk about my favorite cut. Oh my God. Cut. We don't smoke marijuana yes. <laughs> was the so, music oh line. God. It was perfect. You perfect. have, um, and I, f- I forgot to write down the actual name of that song, which apparently is a little bit of an anachronism because it would have come out actually after 1968 when this is set, but I don't, it was perfect choice. I don't care who cares. Um, because you have, <laughs> you cut from the scene of like Taylor smoking pot with like Elias's crew for the first time. And then it's, I, I can't even remember what they say. They say like something about like the other crew or something like Barnes's crew or whatever. And there's a cut 
to just like bunny who is a fucking psychopath um them absolutely not smoking pot and there's a song that's like we don't smoke marijuana or whatever i don't even remember the tune was, but like it's a cut <laughs> I, I think to that was exactly, the exact line thank you it's a cut to exactly those lyrics and it is brilliant i, oh, I loved it i straight so up much. laughed at that but it's uh, I don't know. It's just interesting how straight laced even in their off time or like regimented is maybe not the right word, but there's like some level of like swagger and putting on a show that's part of even the barracks time for Barnes's crew. And I mean, Bunny, when he takes by it out of a fucking aluminum can because he's a psycho like. <laughs> I, he's, I, he's just like. Is it? Does he do it to Barnes or O'Neill? I thought it was Lieutenant. What's his oh, face? Lieutenant um, Wolf, who's like want, Wolf, clearly yeah. wants so hard to fit in, and you have him set off with like his Ohio State College shirt, and you'll see him like wearing his class ring too. Like he does not belong with the rest of this crew. Um, he desperately wants to, which is why he lets far too much slide. Um, oh yes, but yeah, Bunny's just like Lieutenant Wolf, and just takes a bite out of a beer can. Like you idiot! What? I hope you cut your tongue and got tetanus. Like, oh, I hate Bunny. But I do, uh, I think it's, is it Junior who gives, yes, he, (laughs) he is the best insult to Bunny. Did you catch the insult? I didn't write it down, but I maybe caught it. (laughs) It's, it's, I wrote it down. It's, it's great. Um, it's the only way you get some pussy man is if a bitch dies and wills it to oh. you and then maybe. Yeah, that was well, that was some foreshadowing too, where I was just like, oh no. <laughs> but I, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. Junior putting Bunny in his place and then Bunny just eating a beer can. It was I mean, it's two very different dynamics. Yeah, for sure. And it so so well interspersed. And again, the the editing here, especially the scene where Taylor is smoking pot for the first time and like the difference between how you see through his eyes and how you are the like third party observing is just so great. Like, did you notice that where on Elias, they had these very weird straight on shots of him? It, it was it was such a good, good way to kind of like emphasize that he's slightly impaired. <laughs> yeah, because it's so stylistically different than than anything else. Yeah, the um, camera work was so good. There's also a moment with Barnes's crew I thought was really interesting. And also I was it was a moment where I was like, ah, here's part of where Behringer's nomination comes in. And that is um, when O'Neill it's after Wolf has left and O'Neill is mm-hmm. telling Barnes, uh, sometimes I look at a guy and I think this guy's not going to make it. He's just, there's no fucking way he's not going to make it. And he lights a cigarette for Barnes and Barnes just gives this look to O'Neill that you can tell as the, yeah, buddy, you're not going to fucking make it look, <laughs> which becomes ironic well, later, but I just, is, it was a, oh. It was there was a look right there. And this was this was the moment where I was still still like like I didn't like Barnes, but I didn't I didn't recognize him for the villain he was yet. Like I was still I was still thinking like O'Neill was going to be like the worst one. Yeah. Ooh. But we start to get to see the full force of Barnes's character in the next kind of string of scenes. So they come across a uh, an NVA camp with some Bar- barracks slash like a, bunker. a bunker the shots 
of Elias dropping into In the, the bunker. bunker. Oh God, <gasps> put me on edge. Oh, they were so beautiful and terrifying. Literally the claustrophobia that I felt, even though I was sitting in an empty, like open room. We're talking about it and my entire body just tensed up. Like I was just like, oh, that was, yeah, that was it's such a dark. shot. There's some water. The flashlight. Yes, you have the flashlight bouncing off the water. The walls are so close. Beautiful and, and this, terrifying. It is. And they, they do kind of cut this in with scenes of them exploring the camp on the the top as well, which the amount of things that were just dropped and left and still going. And someone even says it like the tea is still on. They were just here. They were just here, which is even scarier. Exactly. And I knew, I mean, I knew something was going to happen. I knew it. Yes, but it takes so long for something to happen that it's the worst. It it is. It is. And I thought the only thing that was going to happen was Elias was going to shoot one remaining soldier that was in the bunker i was wrong because they're like "Ooh, look at all this important stuff <laughs> that's booby trapped one of the maps is definitely of like the british isles oh it is i didn't even there's notice no, i was no on reason, edge <laughs> there's no reason that uh the north vietnamese army would have just a map of the british isles there's those well, it's probably the one props could get their hands on i mean yeah Ugh. but that sets off like a whole whole thing and by that i mean like they're all of a sudden on edge making sure everything's good and they're going up to a village that's that's right close well, so they, they have lost manny they can't find manny and then you also have like they're they're getting like orders over the radio like um lieutenant wolf keeps being like the captain says the captain says they're supposed to go to this village where like there's been reports of like the mva around mm-hmm and that is where we get our full. This is where we take a turn. I mean, stuff, oh. has, t- stuff has been rough so far. I thought this was the hardest to watch of the yes. entire film. Absolutely. A hundred percent agreed. This was, I like had to pause and take a break. This is really Sounds rough. Right. I, know we, I know we trigger warning earlier. I just want to do it again. I just warning. We're about to talk about some really rough stuff. Yeah. Um, Starting with uh, them, well, one entrance to this village is well, first immediately. They find Manny. Oh, oh, they I find totally Manny glossed over that because this, I think, is the trigger for mm, yes. Because I think you know, up in, to this point, we haven't seen the full crazy from some of them. Finding Manny's the trigger. Manny's been yeah brutally killed and like displayed. We- and we get to see it too, but the way that they cut and pan over all of the men's faces and the just cold disbelief that they all show, I think you're absolutely right. I didn't really see that as the trigger point, but after this, yes, everything 100%. that has been happening, like obviously has been, has been building up for it and creating an environment where this could happen. Mm hmm. I think I think this is just like kind of the like like it's it's a tender box. This is the match. Yeah. And I mean, you you see how the energy changes when they all of a sudden barge into this village. Also, I do want to note we should note at this point, Elias and a couple other people are not with the group anymore. Oh, right. They're staying back with the injured. They're staying back with the injured. And there's like another platoon on their way to like link up with them. Our con- our conscience is currently not with the group. 
Oh, that's so I did not catch that until you mentioned it. That is so good. Um, but as soon as they enter the camp, like it's clear that they are on the offensive. And so uh, like they are. And, and like to <sighs> clarify, you said camp. This is a village. Like Sorry, village, village. They're coming yes. into a village that is not like these. These are civilians. Everyone right. who they have contact with in the scenes we're about to describe are civilians. Yes. Which is super important because yes. not only are they like killing livestock, bunny is just like here, piggy piggy and shoots this, this pig just for no reason. You have folks it's, rummaging it's pure cruelty. I had a note where as yeah. they walked into the village and I like after finding Manny and I have a note that just says we're about to watch war crimes happen. Oh, hundred percent. And it's like they kick over a teapot for no reason. It's just they start with the little things and build from there where it's like you're really not making any friends here or making your cause any more like winnable. But the it the rough stuff's well, that was rough, but the rougher stuff starts when they find a couple hidden um villagers that they are trying to like get out of this kind of barrier, this dugout hole in one of the um thatch huts and this poor man who is missing a leg and appears to be missing an eye they like take out all of this frustration on this person who like doesn't have anything to do with what happened to me well and and we see taylor lose it too yeah and that's that made me kind of i was like uh, I'm I'm glad to see that he has that side because I think it's important for later in the film. But I'm not well, pleased that he kind of went down that path. I think there's path. a point right where like we like we're seeing what this has done to him, like mm-hmm. based on where he started, like and and like as our protagonist, like I mean he's flawed. Like he's in a nightmare scenario and he does not react well. He's like yelling at the guy and then he's like mad at the guy for for like he's he's like, why did you why didn't you just do what I said? Like, why did you think I was going to hurt you? And I was like, because you're yelling at him in a foreign language while swinging around a gun, maybe like maybe like like, maybe this is the middle of war and everyone's scared. Yeah. Lack of self-awareness there. He he doesn't know. He's just so scared. I think like that's the thing that I got from Charlie Sheen's performance in this scene in particular is that he's so scared. He doesn't know, like he can't handle it. He doesn't know how to translate it. It's translating into just irrational anger Mm -hmm. at the person who happens to be in front of him. Yeah. Shooting at his feet. Um, you have the, the, who I interpreted as like the, the guy's like elderly mother or something there too, like, Mm -hmm. like screaming, crying. You have fucking bunny. Just and that is where Taylor I think Taylor on. snaps out of it, though, because this is the, the worst. And you have O'Neill there. I was like, you know, it's bad when O'Neill mm-hmm. is scared. And like he and Taylor are both clearly like horrified and scared of Bunny in this point. And you're right. That's when Taylor snaps out of it. And you have him, Taylor sitting there crying and uh, Bunny. Bunny beats the man to death with the butt of his gun. Yeah. And the. Again, this, the the splatter of that man's blood on Taylor's face didn't like it, but it was so effective. Um, I, I think in that moment, Taylor like saw the darkest side of himself and mm-hmm. said no. Stepped back from and that. Stepped ledge. back, and I I think like Bunny and Barnes are people who they saw the darkest part of themselves, and then they embraced it. 
Yes, 100%. 100%. And we, I do think it's interesting that O'Neill is like, okay, we're going to pretend like none of this ever happened because O'Neill is, is I think all about the self preservation. Yes. Oh, absolutely. O'Neill's all about self preservation. He's, it, he, yeah, Ugh. he's, he's, only thinking about that um and he's terrified of bunny in that moment um and you're you're right yeah he's like uh if we leave now nobody saw anything like let's just go let's just go and yeah no like bunny bunny needs to be locked away leashed in yes and court-martialed please but it's kind of like out of the frying pan into the fire situation because now we have Barnes interrogating another villager. Barnes has like fully snapped. I feel like Barnes Barnes was like seconds away from snapping previously and we just didn't know it. And then he snapped and we were suddenly like, oh, God, there's no humanity left in this person. Oh, none at all. So he he's trying to understand something about the grain and where the soldiers are and what up with these weapons and because they, they find weapons and there's like a lot of grain and he's like well this is more grain than like a village would need to feed themselves and i'm like what how do that you know that how more, do you know that's not logical <laughs> being like this this community is too prosperous like that's not logical um and you have uh johnny depp's character learner who's like the um translator and you have like whoever like the the guy who's like the head of the village who they're like, why does he have these scars? And I was like, he lives in the jungle and there's a war going on. Like, you don't have to be a combatant to have scars. And I think the guy says that he like got caught in like a bombing raid or something, which happened. Yeah. <laughs> and Barnes is Barnes is not accepting this. Barnes is convinced that they are like willingly helping the NVA. And he, when he's asking about the weapons, the guy's like, yeah, they come through here. Like they make us store that like. They're just as much victims as like you see yourselves. Like these are non-combatants trapped in the middle of a war. Like. But things escalate when the chief's wife comes up and starts like giving him what for, which while I respect that fire, I am so devastated that this was the person to whom she was talking. i know i was like i was like this is not the this is not the guy because it's it, she's basically like it's it's our grain it's our grain what i i can't even remember what learner was saying she was talking about all i remember she's, she's is just how she's just absolutely yeah. panicked and i think learner's trying to get that across but i think also he's like having trouble like translating the panic and I think learners also terrified of Barnes in this moment. Oh, for sure. Everybody's terrified. Everyone's of Barnes. terrified of Barnes in this moment, except for bunny who can, we also talk about the fact that that character's name is bunny. I mean, it's such a misnomer, uh, but I, I kind of like it for that reason, but it's bad. But anyway, <laughs> the speed with which Barnes goes from just interrogating very like borderline violently to Murder. murdering the chief's wife, shoots her right in front of everybody broad as daylight including like, her daughter her yeah like, who that 10 year old starts, daughter probably uh, maybe even younger than that screaming like, yeah understandably and then takes the daughter hostage at gunpoint to try and get more out of this chief and i'm like and the chief is like i don't know anything you have learner being like he doesn't know anything you have you you have such a clear division in the group right 
you've got a couple people who are egging Barnes on, and then you've got the mm-hmm. people who are like, the fuck is going on here? And I, the whole time I'm just like, somebody do something. Will Barnes probably shoot you? Yes. But just like fucking do something. Enter Elias right in the nick of time. Thank God. Cause he literally tackles Barnes and is like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like actually, what are you doing? And that's, I, he goes after Wolf too. I didn't even realize Wolf was there until Elias calls him out. And which I think is, I think is for sure a choice because it shows that Wolf is not in charge. Uh, Cause I, I saw that and I was like, you're the fucking commanding officer. Like if anyone in this group had the authority to stop Barnes, it, it was, was you. you like to stop all of this, it was you. If there was anyone who should have been setting the tone for this, who should have calmed people down and made sure that they were behaving humanely, it was you. Like, oh, oh he's, he, fuck he everyone except for Elias. Spineless and a horrible person for that reason. Like, you're anyway. So the scene more like, gets better, but happen. not much. No, more atrocities happen. Uh, I mean, less murder, but more sexual assault and burning of property and treating people like cattle and separating yeah, Taylor, Taylor children stops, from their parents. Taylor like, stops the sexual assault. Which again, it was fucking bunny. <sighs> Some, someone needs to shoot bunny. I'm um, so glad that Taylor stepped in though. That was like a, yeah, well, I think, I think he saw, I think he saw Elias step in and I think that's the moment where Taylor went like Barnes, Bunny, all of that shit. That's not who I am. That's not who I'm gonna be. Elias, that's who I'm gonna be. Like I am I am in hell, but I can still be a human being. And he even says to the guys, like, they're human beings. Exactly. Not an object. When I love, I love the moment where he goes, You just don't get it. Like you just don't get it. Because they don't. And there's there's no way to like get across to them. Right. Like there are people out there who just don't have empathy and like just don't get it. And like just the like anger and sadness when he says it of just like you don't get it. It's basically like you never will. Like you're just like you've you're lost. Yep. Forever at this point. God, that scene was that whole sequence was so hard. Yeah. And this is this is to to circle back to the deer hunter where i'm like there were plenty of horrible things that happened you didn't need to make up things well the deer hunter actually let's talk about this for a little bit because i i did think a lot about the deer hunter while watching this um the deer hunter oof me this might be tied for the toughest because the deer hunter previously far and away was the toughest movie we've had to watch um for me at least I, I found it to be like the hardest. Um, but we talked in that episode about how like so that movie, like the whole Russian roulette, thing, like basically the director wanted to make a movie about Russian roulette and then later decided to place it in Vietnam, I guess for like shock value. I don't I don't quite understand why. And so all of this like actual war scenes in that film, I maintain all of the stuff where like Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep's characters are dealing with like grief and the whole like coming home after the war bit. All of that mm-hmm. part of the, that movie is fantastic, but all of the like actual like war stuff, it's it feels um, well, it's contrived and 
takes advantage of a horrible situation for shock value. Yeah. Whereas like with Platoon, while it was like, I still, it still had so much stuff that was hard to watch and I still felt incredibly uncomfortable um, and emotional while watching it. I, I felt like I was, I felt like I was watching it for a reason. And that reason is to be like, war is terrible and it does terrible things to people and bad people do bad things and you can try and stand up to him and you can just do the best you can. And sometimes it's enough and sometimes it isn't. (sighs) That is such a good summary of this movie. (laughs) It honestly, this movie to me, I feel like it probably, and I, like I said, I was comparing it to the deer hunter and I know it got compared to like apocalypse now and stuff. Um, it felt a lot more like all quiet on the Western front to me. If we're talking about war films. I totally agree with that. The last sequence for me was the like all quiet on the Western front thing. And I thought about the hands on the fence Yes, and I was like, yes, there's some with scenes Elias. here. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I felt like the way that they shot battles here and like the way they shot the stuff in the village, like just the like, like the, the brutality and the like intimateness of it reminded me so much of like the trench fights in all quiet. Completely agree. And it's, it's a similar sort of like stalemate too. Right. It's perfect comparison in my mind, but different theater of course, but yeah, similar aspects to it. Um, but let's see. So things have deteriorated. They're going to deteriorate much further. There is now uh, like a super clear divide between Camp Elias and Camp Barnes. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we get a couple scenes back at camp where they really hammer that home. I also have a note that I was like, this is so Lord of the Flies. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's interesting. Mm -hmm. But we do get a a couple scenes back at camp where it's like very clear that what happened at the village is a big deal and a big risk for Barnes. And we have a bunch of dominoes getting set up. Barnes should be locked away and court-martialed. Exactly. But where is Lieutenant Wolf? fucking wolf and then wolf is like i got your back barnes i was like just like wolf just like you know just remove your lips from barnes's ass for like a second just like a millisecond please because you do not need his approval as much as you crave it for whatever unknown reason i mean again i think wolf is just scared I mean, probably you have people who are scared and handled their fear like Elias. And then you have people and I guess later Taylor. And then you have people who are scared and turn into monsters. Yeah. Like Wolf. So the next time they are out patrolling, we do get some of that voiceover that does hammer home the division, but they actually do run into an ambush this time. Oh, now, and I had, this was the, like after the stuff in the, like the village is the moment where I think both we as an audience and Taylor start to become more afraid of the platoon within than I think without, because in this next, so like in that first firefight we talked about, like we're, we're so on edge because we know that like the enemy is coming in this next firefight. I was so on edge because I was like, the enemy is there with you already. Like I was, I was more worried about a 
particularly for Elias about oh, like for sure. Barnes and Bunny. And like, I was so scared of what was going to happen within the platoon. And I was so much more tense about like that than I was about like the skirmish between the two armies. Yeah. And that the whole time I was like, okay, well, Elias is not going to get out of this alive. Let's see how it goes down. Which I was ugh. hoping he would shoot Barnes. And then I was like, maybe he'll shoot Barnes. And then the rest of this will just be like Elias gets court-martialed, but Barnes will be dead. So it'll be fine. Ooh, but not, so much more happened. convoluted. And uh, so they, they run into an NVA ambush. The airstrike is called in wrong because Lieutenant Wolf, uh, it was Lieutenant Wolf who called it in, right? Who yeah, didn't know where the, the hell to call it into. So they're getting the airstrike is hitting uh, their own troops. Yeah. Uh, which Barnes yelling at Wolf and calling him like a fucking idiot. And Wolf, it looks like, like a, like a little kicked puppy. I was like, yeah, I, I just, I love the scene of like, this is who you tied yourself to. Like also Wolf fucked up and should be yelled at, but also like, his horrific hero is now like yelling at him. And I was like, this guy's not going to like, why, why are you watching? His he's not back? worth your he's time. Not, yeah. He's not going to watch your back. Like exactly. You shielded him from war crimes. Consequences of your actions. That's all, all I'm going to say on that. Screaming at you. But, uh, Elias has taken a smaller group of men to try and kind of cut off the fleeing, uh, NBA soldiers. And there's a moment where you think Barnes and Elias might like put aside their fight, like to get them out of there. Cause he's like, I need three men. And Barnes is like, you got him. But then they get in the tiff and you're like, oh, this is not, they're exactly. not going to put this aside. Now the way they build this up though, cause they have, uh, most of the injured and everything have been pulled out of the actual zone of fighting, but you have Barnes go back in and the way that they film this and edited. Well, he goes back in because they're pulling back. They're like, we're going to, we're going to fall back. And some, I think Taylor or somebody is like, well, Elias is still out there. And Barnes goes, I'll get him. And I have a note that was like, what does he mean by I'll get him? Oh, we know what he means. We, he's already said what he means. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, but that, again, that's the moment where it's like, will he actually do it? I had no doubt that he was going I to. I also had no doubt. Zero doubt. I was just like, Ooh, <laughs> you I were just, hoping. I was hoping against hope. I knew he was a monster. Well, but I just, you know, I had to have a little hope. Sorry to dash your hopes across the rocks. Yeah, but. It's fine. It's happened before. <laughs> but I do want to emphasize how well this was shot and edited with this buildup. So we do get a little bit of a firefight with the fleeing um, NVA soldiers. But then with Elias and Barnes running toward each other and the way it's cut between the shots and the way we see the leaves occluding each of the, uh, the two men – just builds this again, amazing tension masterclass in this tension building. And it slows down with the cuts as you move closer and closer and closer. So it's like, okay, oh my God, what's going to happen? It's I'm on like, the edge of my seat. And the close up on Elias's face when he sees Barnes and then realizes and Barnes, well, just Barnes, on his when, eyes. When he sees, oh. he sees somebody pointing a gun at him and he realizes it's Barnes. And then he realizes in his eyes, and then he kind of he's got that smile. 
Yeah, but you only see his eyes. You only see his eyes. No, you which actually is get to see the smile later. Oh, you do? You I thought do. that you got to see like the smile eyes and then the like the way his eyes like turned dark when he saw Barnes was going to shoot. That might happen, but he has no. I think so. Oh, now I'm now I'm wondering what the order was. These shots happened um, because I was watching it curled up with like, <laughs> my hands half in front of my eyes. Um, because I think he sees. I think at first he thinks it's an enemy soldier, and then he mm-hmm. sees it's Barnes. And then I think there's the recognition of Barnes isn't lowering his gun at first, and Elias like. Okay, so you are as bad as like I like I knew I was right about you. Like you're a monster. And then Barnes seems almost to second guess himself. Like he maybe isn't gonna shoot. But then it's not like a sudden he does shoot. Like it's not a surprise. Like you see, you see the full, I wanna shoot him. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to happen in Barringer's eyes and he shoots Elias. Like I I think Elias saw it coming like i think he Uh, oh definitely and i think there's almost a smugness there of like i knew you were a piece of shit oh that that exact sequence is is what happened but uh, defoe's performance here is just incredible him and berenger in this scene is no words happen they don't need to happen it's great i mean it's terrible but it's great (laughs) oh totally agree so we think it's one and done. We get back to where they are loading all of the injured onto evac helicopters. Taylor has run back. Oh. oh, that's right. And they get their moment where it's like, he's dead. Yeah. Barnes is just like, he's dead. And Taylor's like, what do you mean? He's dead. And like, kind of goes to like, I guess check or retrieve the body, like something. And Barnes is like, no, don't. And I'm like, be more suspicious. He's very suspicious, so, but yeah, Taylor super suspicious. And Taylor picks up on it where he, because I mean Taylor, Taylor knows Taylor's not dumb. Like you, like he knows that there's tension between the two, and he knows the Barnes is an absolute monster. Like he knows. I, yeah, he's like you absolutely would do something like that. So they get back. They're loading the wounded on the helicopter. They're in the helicopter. I think this is really like the only like big shot we get, right? Like this is everything else is so intimate. I feel like this yeah. is the only just like big shot where you have a lone, clearly injured figure, which Barnes immediately picks out as Elias running and then just spreading out behind him. You have um, NVA soldiers like I'm clearly chasing him. He's like they're ch- they're chasing Barnes and it's just the cut back between like Taylor and the helicopter and like the helicopter trying to turn around to go get Elias. You have Elias running. It like slows down. Like he's getting shot more and more. He's still going. He's still going. He falls. He makes on. it almost to the church, which is just so heavy on the symbolism, but and falls to his knees, hands in the air. That's the shot that we said. It's kind of reminiscent of like the hands on the barbed wire in, um, mm-hmm. All Quiet on the Western Front. You're totally right. I didn't even think about that, but you're totally right. And and it's what's on like the movie poster. Um, iconic shot. I was like, my last act would be to flip Barnes off. Um, 
but that's well, just me personally. Elias is a good person. I also have a note that not says someone not, put a but... bullet in Barnes, so help me God. Like I, <laughs> I was yeah. feeling a lot of ways at this moment, and all of them were very negative, and all of them were primarily directed at Barnes. But don't worry, there were plenty. There was also plenty going around for his uh, his um, minions as well. Oh, for sure. But I, I, you did mention it was a long shot there. I loved how that serves this scene though. So we see all of come back in in that. Oh, do we? I don't think we did. Maybe not Not at this point. Um, I do think it comes in very soon afterwards though. Um, but the, the way that they pull back when you can't do anything, it's like when, when it's close in and you're like in the fighting, there's some sense of control and ability to, mold the situation but we are just spectators watching as eliza's gunned down well, like, and so is taylor uh, exactly so i i it's such an effective use of that that shot mix yeah well and then i he there's the look between taylor and barnes and i was like taylor buddy watch your back barnes knows that you know that oh. he killed Elias. like i was like that is because because in that moment like barnes like it was already so suspicious. Like, mm-hmm. like you told someone like confirmed that like. Exactly. And we get that in the next scene where the uh, Elias's crew is smoking and like plotting Barnes's downfall. Well, Taylor and I think is it, is it Crawford? There's like Taylor and like one other person who were like, let's kill Barnes. And I was like, yeah. And but Barnes was listening, which I was like, you idiots. <laughs> You idiot. There is a line, though. There's a line right before it's revealed that Barnes, drunk Barnes, is has been listening. And that is, um, I can't remember who it is. It might be Francis who says uh, Barnes has been shot seven times and he ain't dead. Does that mean anything to you? And I put and I wrote, yeah, eighth time's a charm. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I need to look at the AFI's villains list because I'm like, he got nominated, but he didn't get on. Yeah, he's a good, good villain. He's a good villain because, ah, uh, like we just, he, he was a sneaky villain for like the first exactly. third of the movie. And then he became just monster. Just monster. Yep. Sorry. Yep. I but that's that scene- a lot. Drink every time I say monster. Don't um, don't do that. Bad plan. Bad plan. But that scene, though, the main I think narratively that really stands out because it shows the lengths to which Taylor is willing to go when pushed like morally. So Barnes is basically like, oh, you were talking about killing me. Do it. And Taylor kind of does like he starts to beat him up, but then, of course, is bested. Also, like Barnes is goading them like he like they can't they can't exactly do, do anything in that moment. And but the Barnes, metaphorical guns on the wall like we know. Yes. I just loved how we. Yeah. Anyway, how that's set up. Yeah. I oh, also just like in that conversation with Barnes, like there's there's the bit where he says, like, when the machine breaks down, we break down. And I'm like, you're already broken. Like you you aren't human anymore. Like you you've lost all humanity any shred you might have had before this is gone. I, I think that there is part of Barnes that wants to die. Oh, he's definitely an empty husk of a person. Like, like there's just nothing there. Like, I don't like I don't even think you can say he's in pain. 
because I think you have, I think to feel pain, you kind of have to have empathy. And I feel like he's beyond even that. Like, I think you're right. Like he's just empty. Yeah. And I mean, you see it where he's just like, yeah, kill me. I don't care. And he doesn't care about anyone else either. So at least the feeling is mutual or not mutual consistent. I don't know. Anyway, he doesn't even value his own life. The last major, we're moving rapidly into the last, what I've used kind of the major sequence. The voiceover says it felt like returning to the scene of a crime to which I wrote maybe because y'all straight up committed crimes. Yeah. Yeah. In the Valley by the church. Like so did Barnes. It's yes. It's not like a crime scene, returning to a crime scene. It is returning to a crime scene. Exactly. Um, there's the bit, so there's, they're down a lot of people. A lot of people have died. Um, there's the bit where I think, is it King is talking about um, like the foxholes being so far apart. He is like, I've got like five people in my squad. Like the foxholes are so far apart. Like a regiment could walk through. Like we would have no idea. And Wolf's basically like, I don't give a oh, fuck. Oh, he's the worst. Like I'm, I'm done. I don't give a fuck. And I was like, Wolf, you're job is to give a fuck like you're, that's your job as a commanding officer and you don't have the luxury of deciding exactly you so i just you're this terrible. was the final final form of wolf and it was maybe not quite as deliberate as barnes's evilness but it's still reprehensible so it, <sighs> oh and then king gets word that he gets to like leave and the whole time i was like he better make it to that chopper like there better not be a i was worried <laughs> i was like one person one person is gonna make it out of here alive i'm glad he did so i'm so glad he got out i was so scared the whole time the whole time they walked to that chopper ian i was so you remember nervous. that scene the one shot where he was looking back and waving like i legit was waiting for him to get gunned down in that <laughs> yes but he didn't he got yes. out or I was, I was like, sit securely in that chopper, sir. Do not Don't fall out. Don't stand on the rails. Your wave, your hands too high. It's too close to the blade. Stop it. <laughs> so th- we do get get that piece. We get another little bit with O'Neill talking with Barnes because O'Neill's like, okay, please let me go on that chopper. Like, let me out. I have a bad feeling. Well, and he's like, I have like three days of like R and R coming up. Like, I'm going to go to Hawaii and see either his wife or his girlfriend. And Barnes is like. Nope, I need all the men. And I wanted to be like, again, oh, look, the consequences of your own action. Like these assholes who supported Barnes really think he's going to show up for them. No. You let you let the evil go. You let it continue. Don't be surprised or betrayed when it bites you yeah. in the ass. And the look on O'Neill's face is like very clear. It's if it wasn't clear up until this point, it was very clear then that his self-preservation instinct is like the only thing. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been clear. But. Um, and then I think the third foxhole that we get to see is with uh, Bunny and was it Junior who was in that foxhole with him? Yeah, where Junior tries to to fake an injury to get out and then he oh, starts crying. He, I didn't realize that he actually faked it or whether. I think he did because Barnes says something about like, don't spray mosquito spray on your feet again to try and like get out of it or something. See, I thought that was Barnes justifying not taking him out of the line front lines. Oh, I thought I took it as junior did fake it. And it was just like, like, and then when he's crying, like I was like, he's just so desperate. And again, so scared. Like everyone in this movie is just so scared all the time. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I interpreted it as Barnes being unreasonable. 
but I can't, I mean, I can't imagine just living with a constant level of fear like that. Agreed. It's not healthy for sure. Um, but we do get the reveal that bunny actually likes it here and death is the only thing to fear. I mean, of course he does. Of course he, I, uh, I'm so glad bunny dies in that final fight. Yeah. Thank goodness. Um, so nightfall shit hits the fan, like all the way hits the fan. The, the specific, we focus in on the foxhole with, uh, Taylor and, and Francis. Yes. And I like Francis. Oh my gosh. Just the way that we see all of the flares and the flashes and the movement of the shadows in these scenes and just like the flicker of like human movement somewhere in the distance is all just putting you visually on edge. And not only do we get to see them in their foxhole a little bit, we get to see kind of the tableau in front of them. And it, it's just mind boggling that you could see anything in all of that chaos, let alone actually fight. So well shot. So all of these fight sequences are so well shot and so well edited um, because you get the level of chaos to like, I guess, you know, show the chaos of a real battle, but you also are very clear as a viewer, like who you're watching and what's happening. Like you never lose sight of like which character you're watching do what takes a lot of skill. Exactly. And it's oh, the the way that they're able to kind of take you through the movement of Taylor as he leaves the foxhole after being told not to because of the airstrikes, but had to because they were going to blow it up. Yeah. He he recognizes that they're calling to blow up the foxhole and he's like, we got to go like we got to go now, even though they've been told, like, don't leave your foxhole because air support's coming in and they're bringing napalm, which like napalm. Oh, yeah. Shit is bad news. Y- yeah. But the the it was, I think, an interesting choice to have Taylor kind of flip on his violence switch in a way though he goes he goes a little bit like elias like we saw that happen with elias kind of before you know barnes finds him in and shoots him like you know elias is still like he's he's still an efficient killer yeah and we do get to see that with some other folks as we cut to the other foxholes like red hiding underneath the dead body of an nba soldier like oh it i'm I'm honestly kind of glad that he did survive that, but holy crap, did he have to be crafty? Yeah, well, we'll we'll also talk about kind of like where we end with him because I think it's very interesting. Agreed. But we do get a, a very fast devolution of kind of their position. Like they blow up Central Command with a suicide bomber. Uh, like, the guy in charge in Central Command, that is Oliver Stone in his cameo. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that everything's going to shit like it's pure chaos oh there's the the bit i think is it this fight or is it another fight where this you is the have last fight. <laughs> the guy no but it, this might have been an earlier fight oh where that you have the guy on the radio where he goes highland yes it was the beginning, it was of, this maybe the beginning of this one Oh, how creepy. Oh, for sure. Well, and then the colonel or captain or the leader of all of the groups in this was like bomb in my perimeter because they had been like completely breached and overrun. And that like, but like to have to make that decision, that desperate, desperate decision to like. It's that bad. And they repeat. They're like, it's your 
call and he's like, this is my call. I'm calling it. But it saves Taylor's life. It does, which I. Because he runs into Barnes, who is, you know what? I was going to say who is full psycho. He's been full psycho for a long time, probably longer than we realized. Oh, for sure. Like we he was already psycho. We just didn't quite see it yet. But he is all in on taking out anybody that could take him down, which I just anybody he's so blinded by like hate and rage. I like, I'm not even convinced that he realizes it's Taylor. Like, I I don't think in this moment he necessarily, like, I don't think it's like a, Oh, well he's now going to get Taylor. Cause Taylor was like, clearly wants him dead or whatever. I don't think he even registered mm. that it was Taylor, but I think he's going to, he's going to take him out with a shovel but that shot where it's cutting like straight on between them and then you have the plane fly over with the explosion in the background that takes Barnes down and he kind of rolls to the side. Like it just that was the main uh, the biggest like tension release for me. And I believe that's when we cut to like the next morning. Yeah, because we don't we don't know until that cut that Taylor is alive, mm-hmm. barely severely injured, but he's alive and he picks himself up. He picks up a rifle. You see him walk past some like alive but very injured North Vietnamese soldiers who are like, you know, doing the same thing he's doing, like just trying to get out of there. He bypasses them, which I think is so important because like I said, you go from the beginning where it's like the the you know, the, the quote unquote official enemy, the like enemy without is more scary initially. And then it becomes the enemy within and like, you know, human nature that becomes the more terrifying thing. Um, he bypasses them and walks straight towards an injured Barnes. The thing that I love (laughs) is the revival of the, if you're going to kill me, do it trope from earlier. Well, first he's like, go get me a medic. Ugh. Like Barnes doesn't even think he's going to, I don't, I don't think Barnes even thinks he's going to do it. Maybe at the very end there. And then the do it. And Taylor does. Immediately. Just the timing there was perfect. And I'm like, good, good fucking riddance. He didn't hesitate that time. The only person that I'm glad died in this film. Only person. Mm, bunny. We're happy Bunny died. I don't want a world where bunnies running free. Yeah, that's fair. I I agree with that. I agree with that. I was like, no, but yes, actually. Uh, (laughs) um, No, by the, by the end of it, I really am like, I mean, again, like we, we talked about what a good villain Barnes is like you, you really do grow to like hate him in this film and you, you hate him because he's, awful and like you're scared of what he's gonna do next like it's it's such a good just like build for the enemy and it's kind of the perfect ending at the end like barnes you know taylor's karma in that moment yeah but the scenes of the aftermath are rough like yes. mass graves, so many soldiers injured and dead uh, on both Francis sides. Stabs himself in the leg so he can get medivaced. Oh, is that what happened? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize. I will say, and I was reading this. I all of the African American men were portrayed in a very unflattering light, like as cowards and 
like trying to dodge the war in some way, which I, I find to be a reduction to stereotypes. Cause like, did you, did you notice that where it's like, they were the only ones to inflict self-injury on themselves. There were no like African-American leaders, like particularly with junior. So not a fan of that portrayal. I don't think, I don't think King so much. I think King's just really glad to get out of there, but like everybody would have been glad, but it just, I mean, you have O'Neill being cowardly too, but that's one person and not a whole group being portrayed that way. Yeah. But poor O'Neill, speaking of him, he's like ready to leave because he's due for some break. He he survived. He had a bad feeling, but he survived. And then the moment where it's like, are you OK? And he's like smiling. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm OK. Because you can tell it's just pure relief. And the guy's like, great, you have second platoon. And the look on his face. But you're kind of like you only feel so bad for him. I because he <sighs> supported Barnes at the beginning and he definitely like said like racist stuff and definitely yeah. made like an anti-Semitic comment at the beginning. Like he's also a bad guy. Yeah. In light of all of that, I'm, I am on that side in the moment I felt bad, but it's like, it's like the situation's sad, but I'm not sad for you as a character because like, again, it's kind of like, exactly. that, Oh look, the consequences of my own actions. I put out a lot of negativity. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. I, I feel like I feel like this movie doesn't really it doesn't let the villains off the hook. Yeah, I do like that about it, which is kind of refreshing because it's so brutal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, fe- I feel like maybe Oliver Stone knew we knew we needed that. Oh, we uh, totally did. Uh, but the way I, I don't know, it, is there the last ending line for me, which just has uh, it's we didn't fight the enemy. We fought ourselves. It's just oh. And after there was some discussion about how they were not going to win this war because like it was time for them, the U S to lose that, that came from um, Elias earlier. Yeah. He's like, we spent, he, we spent so many years like kicking other people's asses. Like maybe it was our turn to get our asses kicked. Um, There's also a line in that ending like soliloquy where um, he's talking about Elias and Barnes and he's like, I, I'm kind of like the the child of both those men. Both of them shaped me and there are parts of both of them and me, which I think we see where like, you know, he at the scene in the village where he sees the darkest part of himself and then he steps back and decides like, I'm this is not who I am. I'm more like Elias, but he kills Barnes. Yeah. Much the same way that Barnes killed Elias. It's people are complicated. Even if I felt vindicated when it happened. I mean, yeah, it's one could argue if you overlook murder, which is a big thing to overlook <laughs> that Taylor was oh, in God. the right, but <laughs> it's with Barnes. I'm very okay with Taylor killing Barnes. Yeah. I mean, same, same. I Barnes did not need to be out there committing more atrocities Agreed. with spineless uh, lieutenants that weren't going to actually put them in check. So, but yeah, that's platoon. So really, really great film, really tough to watch. Um, happy new year's to us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, it is literally new year's day. We started 22, 22 like this. Um, Got it out the way, though. It's, again, really great. Um, Yeah, no, actually, over Christmas, I was, um, uh, since I I moved during the holidays, um, I didn't get to be with my family for Christmas, but uh, I was with a 
you know, friend of the podcast and many times guest host Lola and, uh, her husband and his parents. And, um, his dad was asking about the podcast and I, he was like, what's your next one? And I was like, platoon. And he was like, Oh, he was like, it's so good. I was like, it, I was like, it's sad though. And he was like, it's really sad, but it's so good. Um, so shout out to Mr. Dunbar. You were right. It was really good. Oh, it's yes. Yes. All right. Do we talk lists we do, now? But I'm struggling. Oh, let me pull mine up. Do you want to talk? Maybe we should talk about where we would slot it in among the other war films we've done. Maybe that'll help us. Oh, I mean, that that's how I'm looking at it right now, because to be completely frank. It it's number. Well, I really need to watch All Quiet on the Western Front. It might be the second best war. Film, that is where I was going to slot it. I think. I all quiet. All quiet is my my. I think the best of the war. Films. I was going to slot it between all quiet and uh, Patton, like higher than Patton and, and below all quiet. Now the particulars on. Oh wait, no, I have Bridge on the River Quiet there. Ooh. Oh, I love Bridge though. Do I think it's better than Bridge? <laughs> so I think I'm pretty. I, I think I know pretty much where I'm going to put it, and it's probably a little bit low, but it's only low because it's such a, a an emotional gut punch, and I didn't enjoy it as much for that reason. Not because it's a bad movie. Does that make sense at all? Okay, cool. Yes. So for me, I am putting it um, at number twenty, which again is my number three war film. So that that's going to come after all quiet and bridge. Um, uh, but before Patton, like I think it is miles better than Patton. Um, if you go back and listen to the way you talk about Patton in subsequent episodes, sounds like you hated it. If you go back and listen to the Patton episode, you loved that movie. I did. You really liked wow. it at the time. Well, you know, hindsight's 2020. I was wrong. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're almost to the 60th movie. So at this point, I mean, like I'm film, having to make some hard it's, decisions. <laughs> it's not like, like the main character is not a pleasant main character. Oh, not at all. Um, but for me, that's going to be one after the sting and one before in the heat of the night. So the sting so tidy, so enjoyable, like great characters that definitely wins out on the like enjoyability factor. And that's honestly why I it's ahead of uh, a platoon, not patent. Sorry. Well, patent too, but um, now putting it ahead of in the heat of the night visually, I see a lot of similarities, especially in kind of the uh, battle scenes in platoon where you have this kind of dark violence about them in a way where you have the bright flashing lights and, I don't know. But again, the the ending of Platoon is satisfying in its own way in the storytelling with these characters and how they kind of devolve over the period in Vietnam. Um, much more effective narratively than I thought in the heat of the night was, um, let alone the fact that we had like a very, very clear message that came out of this and you felt it every step of the way. So um I think that it it's above in the heat of the night for that reason. Okay. I'm going to put it somewhere very similar. I think I'm going to slot it in at number 21 just after terms of endearment and just before Ooh. the best years of our lives. 
Mm, I think it is better than best. I think I think it's just a little bit. I think the part where best years of our lives gets me is editing. I think mm-hmm. it just there were bits of best years of our lives that just could could have used like little little trims. Um, and I think the 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 pacing and just like editing and the tidiness of this, like I, I have zero complaints there. Um, but both really dealing with like psychological impact of war one definitely more brutal and centered you know during the actual war and then of course best years of our lives dealing with like the readjustment to home life um and it also has like some very uh complex dynamics and stuff um but yeah i think i think that's where i'm gonna slot it i will say i feel at least to this point like the 80s kind of an underrated decade when it comes to best picture winners yeah, they're good. Okay. I would say they're underrated in terms of at least my, well, maybe I shouldn't use my experience with uh pop film culture as a reference, but it's like, yeah, I didn't necessarily hear about the eighties so much. The films are really good. They're also very emotional. Yes, but it's, it's a variety of, but like they're emotional about like different things. Like, I don't know that they're looking at different aspects of life. Um, no, but I agree. Like, I feel like when people talk about like, oh, like what's the best decade of best picture winners, I never hear anybody say the eighties, but it's been surprisingly strong. I'd agree. I mean, we had chariots of fire, like that's that's the dud, but like ordinary people, Gandhi, Terms of Endearment, Platoon, Amadeus, which will, when we finally do our list reshuffling, Amadeus is going to end up in my top five. Oh, it's it's up there for me, too. And you said Out of Africa, too, which like... Out of Africa, which like, while the beginning was definitely rough, like kind of hit its stride halfway through. Like there were things about, it, you know, things about it I really loved as well. Like it's yeah. it's been, I think, surprisingly strong. And I mean, I've heard... Honestly, nothing but good things about like Rain Man and Driving Miss Daisy too, which are not the next. I, I haven't heard much about the Last Emperor, the so last we'll, Emperor, we'll see where that I'm not goes. But familiar with, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Oh, I did go up against Moonstruck, Ian, and we do love Moonstruck. Oh, we do, but for other reasons, <laughs> not because I think it should have won Best Picture, but uh, that know. overacting. We'll I love that. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll end on a fun story since this movie was so rough. One of our our dear friends and uh, several time podcast host Emma, her bachelorette party uh, was Nicolas Cage themed, so we all watched Moonstruck. It was perfect. It was great. <laughs> all right, I think that wraps it up for Platoon. I I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, like I said, I I um. We'll think about it a lot and probably never watch it again. It's going to be a movie that never leaves me, um, I think. Uh, but yeah, thanks thanks for everyone who kind of stuck through us or stuck with us through this episode. Uh, we appreciate it. If you want to reach out and let us know your thoughts on Platoon, tweet at us. Um, we are at Best Pictures Pod on Twitter. We are also Best Pictures Pod on Instagram. We're definitely a little bit more active on the Twitter, or I'm a little bit more active on the Twitter. Um, you can also email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Rate, subscribe, review. Um, happy 2022, everybody. Woo, happy new year. We're looking forward to this year. We should have some some good movies coming up. And uh, I think we've got some fun special episodes planned this year as well. Yeah, it's going to be great. 
So yeah, thanks for listening um, and join us next time for the 60th. Oh my gosh, 60 best pictures. uh, The Last Emperor.